Hello everyone. How many of you are disciplined individuals? You have a routine. You're very well organized, methodical, systematic, meticulous. Anybody? Some individuals, who I won't name, have accused me of being such an individual. And yes, it is true, even my junk drawer is organized. On the other hand, how many of you are none of those things? In the coming weeks, we're going to tackle three spiritual disciplines, giving, prayer, and fasting. You can see them on the screen right now. Each one of the disciplines have a different objective. Giving is about relationship with others. Prayer is about our relationship to our Father. And fasting is about our relationship to oneself. These lessons will challenge us, encourage us, and convict us. They will. And the reason I believe we're going to be convicted, these are Jesus' words, his instructions. And it's not going to be easy. None of this sermon of Jesus has been particularly easy, has it? But why the spiritual disciplines, you may ask? I already feel guilty about my spiritual disciplines. Are you going to make me feel even guiltier than I already do? I don't know how to answer that question. I want to encourage you through these lessons, not browbeat you. But Jesus does have expectations of his followers. First, let me remind you that as kingdom followers, as his subjects, his subjects, have we fully grasped that concept? I'm a subject of God's kingdom. I'm here to do his will. Isn't this so totally foreign to our nature, specifically in this country? Is it not hard for us to give up our rights as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago? Is this not what Jesus is asking of us? To place ourselves under his authority? And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me? Jesus' words. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Is not our kingdom obligation one of total surrender to our Father and the Son? How hard is this for us? This sermon is about relationships as much as it is about spiritual disciplines. In surrendering ourselves to God, we also surrender ourselves for the good of those around us. It's what Jesus did for you and for me, is it not? And Jesus never doubted. Let me say it again. Jesus never doubted that his subject, those in his kingdom, his children, would not be participating in these disciplines. Jesus did not say if you do them, but when you do them. In other words, Jesus believed these internal disciplines would be a regular diet of one's spiritual walk. Why? Why? Because spiritual disciplines move our hearts into an intimate relationship with our Father. I love this verse from John. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I believe the reason many of us struggle with anger and struggle with lust in our married relationships, keeping our word or retaliation or loving our enemies is because it's because we have very little power to defeat the enemy seeking to destroy us. 
disciplines have always been a way to move one's hearts closer to the Father. They have always been a method and approach which, when used properly in the context, can strengthen us, can empower us, and give us hope and healing as we move into that intimate relationship. For many, the most important thing in their life is their dreams and their wants and their needs. We have this false assumption that the world is here to serve us. Therefore, this country has a high degree of narcissist and self-absorbed individuals, does it not? And what I want to do is make some general assumptions about these spiritual dis- disciplines. And I know, I know that's very dangerous. And the reason it's dangerous is because I know this is not true of all of you. But generally, this is how I observe these three disciplines. See if you agree with me. The discipline of giving, our first topic. It's often sporadic in most people's lives. Most of us give, but we give so infrequently that it does not rise to the level of being a discipline. The discipline of prayer is much more frequent than the other two, but even then, most of our prayers tend to be generic and skin deep, asking God to meet our needs, the needs of my life. And the discipline of fasting? (laughs) Well, it's non-existent. So how did I do? See, my hope and prayer are to encourage you if you're not already, to practice the spiritual disciplines in the way in which Jesus meant them to be practiced. Not as a show for others, but as a connection to our Father and the strength and power they bring to us daily. All right, all right, so let's get into some of the nitty-gritty stuff, and I'm just going to hit on a few things very, very quickly. All right, so these three disciplines have the same structure. Each one of them begin with an expectation when you give, when you pray, when you fast. The expectation is the same for each. These are expectations of Jesus' followers. Not maybe, not if, but when. Jesus expects his followers to participate in these spiritual disciplines. Yes, these spiritual disciplines. All right, next, there's a warning. Sound no trumpet like. You must not look like, be like. Do not look gloomy like. Why did it possess a warning? Jesus desires our spiritual disciplines to be a private affair. Is that not what he says in chapter 6, verse 1? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by then. Whether giving, praying, or fasting, they're not to be flaunted. And how easy is it to put our righteousness on display? Do you know anyone who does that on social media? I think it has become an epidemic in our culture. Many years ago, I used to write a weekly blog. I called it Off the Wall. (laughs) And I I worked really hard on this content. I did it about six months and then I quit. And the reason, I was doing it more for the likes and the recognition than for the glory of God. Listen to me, I'm not saying writing blogs or doing vlogs are wrong. <laughs> Some of them are incredibly helpful and excellent resources, but my heart, it was in the wrong place. And I definitely did not have the appropriate motives at the time. I would say that for most of us, we have a desperate need to be needed, to be wanted, to be seen, don't we? And when I examined my heart, the best thing for me to do was to give up that blog. And this passage from Jesus helped me see the error of my ways. 
and do not observe what they tell you, these are the Pharisees, but not the works they do. So do, do observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. All right, next there's instruction, but when you. In other words, Jesus gives instruction as to how we're to implement these disciplines of giving prayer and fasting in our lives. And last, there's the reward. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. God sees us in secret, and he will reward us. What is that reward? I don't know. I would like to think it would be a reward now. My heart changed. I grow. I become like my father. And then I would like to think there would be a reward in the future, like the reward for King David received for his faithfulness. Because of David's faithfulness, generations beyond him were given grace by God. His heirs, many of his family members, were spared judgment because of David's faithfulness. What if, what if our faithfulness enriches our hearts and there is grace given to generations beyond us? Our family receiving grace because of one's faithfulness now. Would that not be a great reward? All right, so let's jump into this passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Have you noticed, though, how we have an incredible gift of preferring good things? I mean, we do. God loves us. He desires to give us good gifts, and we often pervert these gifts, like food, like sex, like recognition. You get my drift. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Let me ask you a question. Are we to practice our righteousness? Are we? Yes? No? <laughs> yes. Absolutely we're to practice our righteousness. But Jesus is describing a righteousness which can be dangerous. See, the Israelites produced a religion of form without fill. They were more worried about the form of their religion than they were discovering the heart of God. They were full of dead men's bones, as Jesus says. They had, they had formed, but were not filled with the Spirit of God. Is this not the history of our church as a tribe? We have waged wars over form. We have placed full-page ads in the daily Oklahoma of our tribe bickering about form. This is not love. This is not grace. Our past is a mess of a tribe divided. And this is what God desires. Is this how we are to practice our righteousness? I grew up and started my ministry worried about the form of my religion. And brothers and sisters, it's not how I want to end my ministry. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And often this self-righteousness of form and function leads to self-gratification and self-glorification. We think we're better than others. We think we have arrived. Brothers and sisters, our Heavenly Father desires us to practice our righteousness with the appropriate motives and desires. And it is in these spiritual disciplines where we learn humility and grace and faithfulness and justice and love. Listen to the words from the Apostle John. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. But this 
By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brothers. And yes, yes, we are to practice our righteousness. And these disciplines we offer to God produce the fruit of our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So are these disciplines important? Not only are they important, they are expectations. And I know this is silly, but an expectation is something that is expected. This is not if, this is when. And the disciplines Jesus mentions are of generosity, charity, and giving. It's, it, it's about our relationship with others. Let's read our passage. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Remember the assumption I made earlier in this lesson, that discipline of giving, our first topic, is often sporadic in most people's lives. Most of us give, but we give so infrequently that it does not rise to a level of being a discipline. There's a good reason God wants us to give, because God is a giver. God has given to us. He has given us life, has he not? God has given us jobs. He's given us homes. He's given us families. He loves us so much that he gave us his son. His gifts continue. His grace, faithfulness, his love, his spirit. These, this is our Father's ridiculous, ridiculous generosity toward us. God is generous. Therefore, he expects us to be generous, to lend, to care, and to serve. Jesus expects, sets expectations for his subjects. When you give to the needy, for most, this is a very difficult discipline to master. Why? <laughs> because we usually only give to that which benefits us. Isn't that true? If I give to you, I expect something in return. And we are very protective of that which we believe is ours. We don't want to let it go. We're just like the rich young ruler when challenged regarding his giving. He walked away, not willing to give up his possessions. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. See, this discipline is as much about us as it is about helping and serving others. The, this discipline tests our heart, who and what controls us, and it also tests our motives and our character. Okay, next Jesus pronounces a warning. Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Philanthropy is a big business. When people give a lot of money, we place their name on buildings, right? When my father-in-law died, passed away in June, we had to stop a couple of bank drafts. For many years, he had been supporting a missionary in the television program produced out of the Edmund Church. I never knew. And if you knew De Deb's dad, he had very little to give, but he gave regularly. It was a discipline in his life. There was no fanfare. There was no trumpets. 
Billy Gray will never have a building named after him. He will never earn the title of philanthropist. But it reminds me of the story of the unnamed widow in Mark 12. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasure and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich, rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Billy Gray did not give to be seen by others. He gave to serve and to help others. How are you doing on this discipline of giving? Jesus could have begun this, the disciplines with prayer, but he didn't. He began the discipline with the discipline of giving. Why? He knows our hearts. Jesus is drawing a vivid picture of typical irony. Those who seem to be the most humanitarian often want the most human glory. They want to toot their own horns. Jesus calls these individuals hypocrites, doing the right thing with the wrong motives. Many of us do the right thing with the wrong motives. Listen to the instruction of Jesus. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Again, this is an expectation for all kingdom followers. It's not an, it's not an exception. It's an expectation. Let me remind you of something. We are to give with the right motives. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, in the days of Jesus, there were many needy individuals. Poverty was widespread in ancient Israel, and the people of Israel took seriously the obligation to provide for the poor. For there will, this, I love this verse, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to, the, to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Chris Kane is our deacon of benevolence. He is tasked with the responsibility to evaluate the needs of those requesting funds for rent, for electricity, and for other unpaid bills. He will tell you the needs are vast. Chris interacts with our church members and those in our community. And each year, Chris depletes his budget and many times goes over his budget because it's his desire and the elder's desire to aid those who legitimately have needs. Lake Homer, you're a part of that solution. Your giving is used for the work of benevolence, as well as the ongoing work of this church, discipleship, missions, worship, evangelism, youth, children. We would not be able to do this work without your generosity, and I believe we can do better. If we, as subject of God's kingdom, his eternal kingdom, take Jesus' words seriously and engage in this discipline of giving, there would be no end to the possibilities of joining God in other works of his kingdoms in this place. When our motives, our attitudes, and our hearts are in the right place, God rewards his people. And your heavenly Father sees in secret, who sees in secret will reward you. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to make these disciplines a regular occurrence in your life. Not because they are expected, but because they draw us closer to our Father and to one another. We are to be givers because God is 
a giver. How are you doing? Are you a giver? Do you need to draw closer to the Father? Jesus reminds us that an intimate relationship with the Father begins with a heart of generosity toward others. May God bless you. May his words touch your heart. I love you very much.